Man, I, I'm excited for this morning. I think uh, personally, I feel like myself for the first time in about a month after going through the whole COVID thing. Um, so uh, yeah, I, I'm just, it, it's good to see people. It's good to see people back again. Like I, I love that. And uh, if, if you're watching online, we miss you. Um, and when you come back, it's gonna be special to us. It's special to see you. Um, I hope you feel that when we greet you, we've missed you and uh, we love you and we're happy that you're here. I think there's a part of us that as we kind of got used to a routine and, and, and got used to church at home, like that's a placeholder. But at the end of the day, there's something special about this where we sense God's presence amongst a group of people worshiping together that, that we just can't really, we can't really replace. So when, when you're ready to come back, we love you and we're excited for that. And, and this is just to me, it, it's awesome. I'm also excited uh, just to be able to praise God that through this whole season, he's been incredibly faithful through your generosity and, and just people giving in a way that really I, every week when I look at the recap, I'm, I'm pretty amazed. I'm, I'm pretty just, wow, God, you, you did it again. So um, I thank you for being sensitive to how he leads and just want to praise God for, for just amazing, really astounding generosity where I go, God, I, we're just humbled as a staff that, that people would trust you and trust us in this way. And we want to just renew a dedication to you that we're going to be faithful with it uh, as, as stewards of what God has entrusted us with. So um, that, that's awesome. And really just I'm excited because it's Christmas. This is great. And you, you know what Christmas comes with, you know, uh, obviously the Christmas Eve service, which we think is going to be really special, but presents and, and, and aside from the, the spiritual side of it all, cookies, <laughs> cookies, right? And just like pause and take a moment for cookies. And I, I just want to like call into question something. Uh, how confident are we really behind the science of cookies and, and unhealthiness? Like, is there, are we, do we really believe that? Are we sure that cookies are as unhealthy as what science would tell us? I just, I like, I, I want us to just say, is that data really reliable at this point? Because I personally, I have this theory that when you take flour and sugar and butter and you put chocolate, the chocolate just changes it. And it's like this magical ingredient that is no longer unhealthy. The data supports this, in my opinion. I think snickerdoodles are basically a protein bar. I, that's, I mean, thank you, thank you. <laughs> Realistically, if, if, if you look at it, yeah, they're not healthy for you. There's, there's a connection between the data and, and what's true. I want us to look at some data this morning. I'm not a guy who usually, when, when, when I preach, lists out like 20 different verses. I want us to do that this morning. I, I want us to look at kind of the, the survey of what the scripture teaches us to gain an idea of the data of the connection between God and his heart for the downtrodden. God in his heart for the less fortunate and, and the poor. I want us to just kind of look and see what is the data here? What does it teach us about how God cares about those who, uh, who are maybe overlooked in, in life? And so a lot of what we're going to do is we're going to look at the book of Proverbs. And if you know anything about the book of Proverbs, it's this just repetitive, like very, very short statements of, of wise teachings. Uh, honestly, the whole thing is as if it's, it's a ship captain talking to another ship captain saying this is how you're gonna navigate the journey. This is gonna be how you're gonna weave through the course that you need to go, and this is gonna be how you need to get where you need to get. It's this teaching of wisdom to say this is how you should orchestrate life. 
this is how you should value things that you value in, in life. And it's really random, but it kind of reflects the randomness of life. And, and what I want us to do is I want us to look and say, what does God want us to know as far as being wise? What does the data teach us about God and the poor and the, and the downtrodden? And I think, I think what you'll find is this is something incredibly personal to God. This is something that's near to his heart. That when we stumble on this topic, we stumble on something that, that really matters a great deal to him and likewise I think should matter a great deal to us. So let's just read one of them and, and then we'll pray and we'll talk through it. Um, Proverbs 17, five says, whoever mocks the poor insults his maker. He who is glad at the calamity of the poor will not go unpunished. Let's pray. God, I pray that you teach us this morning. Lord, each of us has our own sort of place and our own thoughts and our own opinions of, about how we interact with, interact with those who are, who are less poor than us uh, or le less fortunate than us. I pray, Lord, that you would bring us to this unified place where we understand how much it matters to you and you'd help us with wisdom to understand how much, how much it matters in our lives. And we ask that in your son's name, amen. I'll never forget um, when I was uh, when I was on a missions trip. I was asked to preach a sermon in the Dominican Republic. And the Dominican Republic, if you've ever been there, there's the resorts. But outside the resorts, the nation by and large is a picture of poverty. And there's a lot of broken homes. There's a lot of broken families. There's a lot of repetitive cycles of poverty. And uh, and as I was going there, and I had the opportunity to preach at the church and. I prayed, God, what would you have me preach for these people? And the message that God placed on my heart was how to love the poor well, how to love those who are poverty-stricken well. And, and really, I was taken aback that that would be where God would lead me because here I am, the American, who has more than most of these people that I'm preaching to, and this is the message that God has given me. And three or four times, I, I really just remember saying, God, I don't want to preach this. I don't, I don't want to go there and seem hypocritical and seem insensitive, but, but God kept placing the simple fact on my heart that Jesus has said, you'll always have the poor with you. And I should preach to that. And I go and I stand up in front of these people who I've never met before. And I preach this message and I'll never forget afterwards how a man approached me in tears, just broken saying how God had weighed heavily on him for months leading up to this sermon. And he just felt this was for him and it satisfied a desire of what he knew God wanted in his heart. We will always have the poor amongst us, Jesus teaches. What should our attitude towards them be? Should we overlook them? Should we, should we form opinions and judgments or, or is there something else, something more? When God makes this, or when Proverbs mentions this, whoever mocks the poor insults his maker, it, it's a fascinating concept because what, what it reveals is something that, that is a, in a sense sort of the value system of, of what God desires and what he wants and, and how he wants this world to operate. And, and he says that, that he is the maker, he's the creator. And so it's this picture of reminding us that all of us find an equality under that title. That as God is the creator, every single human being is creation. That we all are people. And so while 
some might have less and be less fortunate and be less privileged, the natural human tendency to then view them as less falls flat at the point where God says, I am the maker. As if everybody stands equal underneath me. And so maybe our tendency is to, to say, well, because they're less, they get less time or they get less attention, or they get less importance, or, or less influence. What, what God does is he says, that's not the case in my economy. That's not the case in how this world works from my, the maker's perspective here, that he wants no part of his followers joining in this idea that the less are less and worth less. See, uh, we typically, when you're in, in my position as a pastor, when you're trying to convince people to have a heart for those who are underprivileged, you'll, you'll typically, and I've, I've done this many times, you'll typically approach it from the idea of trying to appeal to people's compassion. Like, hey, you should think about their, you know, if you were in their shoes, what would you want? Or, or you should just in general think of their needs and think of what they face and think of what they fear and think about what, what their, their, their desires are and, and are they being met. And you should think about it from a compassionate perspective. And, and for most of us, the, the issue is that compassion tends to rise and fall and it usually goes away. And most of the time, if you're anything like me, compassion can go away based on the idea of judgment where we assume a reason for why they're in the situation that they're in. Well, they, you know, I, I, I feel bad for them, but then, then my question is, well, why are they there? Are they there because they've been lazy? Are they there because they've been foolish? Are they there because they haven't helped themselves or they haven't taken advantage of it? And so what we do is we tend to emphasize reason over compassion and, and, and judgment comes along with it. What Solomon does, it's fascinating. He takes the idea of, of, this, of the poor and he takes helping them and caring about them out of the arena of compassion and he places it into a different arena, arena that doesn't sort of rise and fall like compassion does. So let's, if you're anything like me, you'll be very compassionate in one moment and then not long after that, the compassion can tend to fade and go, go to a different place or just, just forget or lose that emotional draw. What Solomon does is he takes it out of the arena of compassion and he puts it in the arena of wisdom. He says, the way that you interact with the poor is not simply about how you feel, it's about what's generally considered wise in creation. It, it, it's about what is the right path and how to navigate this. I don't know about you, my, my compassion rises and falls, but my wisdom tends to be pretty straight and steady and constant. And, and so what Solomon does is he presents this idea of helping the poor from the perspective of wisdom. And basically he, he asks one simple question. What if when we insult the poor, when we look down upon the poor, when we have contempt for them, what if God takes it personally? How does that change it? Now all of a sudden, that's not something of, what about their shoes, what about their circumstances? It's just, what about God? What about his heart through all this? That I would say, I, I, I understand from what Solomon is teaching here, that God is offended when the poor are despised. And I don't wanna find myself in that category. The wise person says, if this puts God in opposition to me, I don't wanna be there. 
I don't want to end up on, on that side of this. And so wisdom would say, be cautious about your attitude towards those who are less privileged. Be cautious about that. It, there's really two types of wisdom, and I, and I want to just pause before we really get into uh, some more of these scriptures. There's two types of wisdom when we talk about the poor and interacting with them. There's one that I think we're very good at. I think we, we get well, and that's practical wisdom. Practical wisdom, the, the scripture teaches elsewhere. I, I can think of Timothy um, as, as a key place where it talks about the practical wisdom towards helping those who are in, in need. And practical wisdom is this idea of, I'm gonna help you, but I'm gonna help you in a way that ultimately helps you. Have you ever said that? Like, I wanna help somebody, but I really wanted to help them. So I don't wanna just you know, give this person money if they're gonna use it in a way that's, that's not wise. Maybe I'll buy them a meal, or maybe, maybe I'll help pay a bill. And so there's a practical element of wisdom. The scripture talks about a lot, a lot, and it's great. I, I'm not downplaying the significance of practical wisdom. The, the, I can think of times where people have come in and, and they just are in need. And so they ask us at church and they say, hey, do you have any money? And, and so there's practical wisdom behind the fact that we'll give them a gift card. There's another type of wisdom as well. So there's practical wisdom and we'll call an attitude of wisdom. An attitude of wisdom says that I'm not going to just try to help you practical, practically in a way that's cold-hearted, in a way that doesn't have time for you, in a way that considers that, that maybe you actually really matter to Jesus Christ. There's a practical wisdom, and then there's an attitude of wisdom. And, and really what I think Solomon is saying is that in, in an effort to be wise in practice, don't become unwise in attitude. Don't look down upon them. I remember one interaction where somebody came in asking uh, for some gas money to be able to, to, to get somewhere, and, and she had a story. And the tendency is to think, there's always a story. There's always a reason. And my natural reaction as somebody who's heard many stories is to emphasize practical wisdom. But in this particular moment, what God laid on my heart was that this woman has a reason for her, for her need for, for my practical wisdom. And deep down underneath it all, underneath whatever foolishness might be there, underneath whatever lack of effort might be there, underneath it all is somebody who doesn't feel loved. And doesn't feel cared about and doesn't feel important. And so I remember the attitude the Spirit of God put on my heart was, we're going to help this woman practically, but more important, my attitude is going to be one that uplifts her and builds her up. And so I remember saying, look, we'll be happy to find a way to help you, but right now I just feel led by God's Spirit to pause and pray with you. I don't know if she knew what she was getting into, but she got a sermon and a prayer encouraging her and uplifting her and talking about God's value and, and just comparing her circumstance to other places in scripture. And, and, and I left that situation thinking that will never, I, I will never interact with somebody in this circumstance again the, 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 without, without this one impacting it. Because it's not just the practical wisdom, it's the attitude of wisdom. And God doesn't want our wisdom to, to just be judgment oriented and practical oriented, it's love. In fact, when it says, that when whoever insults the poor insults his maker, he's not referencing, the pronoun is not your maker, the pronoun is the, 
the impoverished person's maker. God connects himself to them. He's associating himself with the poor. He is their maker. Be careful. And I just, to me, that idea of taking it out of just compassion, we should absolutely have compassion, but wisdom is what teaches us to have compassion. Wisdom is what says you matter. We're going to help in a couple weeks. We're, we're going to continue to collect money to help uh, Wendell in, in North Carolina. I don't know fully how he got to the situation that he's in, but I know God wants us to have an attitude that says, we want you to know that you mean the world to us because you mean the world to God. God takes this personally. Psalm 9 and verse 9, the Lord is a refuge for the oppressed, a stronghold in times of trouble. And he becomes safety for those who live in uncertainty. And if God is doing so much for them, what role do we have as perhaps the more privileged to come alongside? Say, God, I wanna join you in that mission. I see the wisdom from this perspective that you stand behind them. And so I wanna support that. I have an older brother um, who is, who's, who's always played the role of the tough older brother. Always the, the bodybuilder, the tough guy, the, the star football player. And, uh, and he had a reputation that went ahead of him and behind him. And, and so when I got to high school, there was just this protective bubble around me. That you didn't mess with Matt because if you messed with Matt, you messed with Lee. And so I remember meeting with people and, and, and they kind of like joke around and tease the, the young guy who came into high school. And then they find out my last name is Saxinger and they're like, wait a second, you're Lee's brother? Hang on, nice to meet you. Can I carry your lunch tray for you? Because by association, I was connected with somebody who was powerful. God says, I'm their big brother. I'm their maker. Don't, don't treat them as if they're beneath you because they are not. And I stand behind them passionately. I am their maker. He makes a connection to them that is really quite powerful. And if, it, if you are the downtrodden, if you're, if you're listening and you're the person who, is, who has been through it and you've had people step on you and have people take advantage of you, God stands with you and he protects you and he loves, about you, and he loves you and he cares about you. This, this, is, this is his economy and he sees it differently than we do. They're not less. If anything, they're, they're incredibly cherished. And, and so we look at Psalms, we look at Proverbs, and, and what we learn is that our attitude towards less, people who are less fortunate, our attitude needs to be an expression of our wisdom. So it makes an awful lot of sense for me to treat you well and to love you well. Three ways I, I want it to show up. Three ways that I think it should be, should be personal. I, I hope it's personal. It's personal to God. You can't ignore that. As we go through some more of these scriptures, you cannot deny the fact that this is incredibly personal to God. So when you see a, a child who's underprivileged, I hope you take it personally. When you see the person outside the homeless shelter, I hope it's personal to you. When you overhear somebody who's in need, I hope, I hope it's personal. 
three ways you let it be personal. The first one's this, and these are simple. Open our ears. That we'd open our ears. Proverbs 21, 13 says, whoever shuts their ears to the cry of the poor will also cry out and not be answered. Sounds personal, right? Will also cry out and not be answered. It's easy to look the other way. It's easy to be busy, to ignore what you hear or ignore what you you see. My tendency as a human being, I happen to be a very driven person. I want to take care of the next task and the next task. And and if you ask me what I'm going to do on a given day or a given week, I can tell you literally what I'm going to accomplish. And so if anything comes in that path that's off that plan, I need to slow down. And, And I need to have ears and not be frustrated to have to take the time. Because God doesn't really allow the option for us to, 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 to be too, too busy. Yeah, I, I was thinking about this, and, and really there's, there's a connection in the scriptures here between our hearts being open and our ears being open. That where our, whether or not our, our ears are open is a sign of whether or not our hearts are open. And what, what, what the scriptures are saying is don't close your ears because in effect, you close your heart. That we would take the time, and I know, I know it sounds simple to say listen, but in the same sense, it's incredibly profound to say I'm just gonna pause and not be too busy and not have somewhere else I need to go and not have something else to do. The wise person does not shut their ears to the cry of the poor lest they find themselves in the same situation where they cry out to God and have nobody to listen. Open our ears. Second one, that we would open our mouths. This one's the toughest one. I'll be honest with you. This is, I, I'm gonna be real about some of my failures in this in just a minute. This is, this is the toughest one. Because when you open your mouth for somebody else, you, you make a connection to them. You tie yourself to their vulnerability. You enter a position where somebody else might judge you, somebody else might harm you, and and so you enter into a relationship with that person the second you open their mouth for them. Proverbs 31, speaking of a king who's in a position to help people, it says this, open your mouth for the mute, for the rights of all who are destitute. Open your mouth, judge righteously, defend the rights of the poor and the needy. Why, because there are some who are unable to help their cause. And you with a voice can influence it. And so there's a responsibility that comes with your place of privilege to say that I hear your needs and if I have an opportunity to defend you and open my mouth, then I will attach myself to you. Gary Thomas in the book When to Walk Away tells a story about a professional golfer named Jonathan Taylor. And and Jonathan Taylor relates this episode of how in the professional golf world, many of the volunteers, or or many of the people working are volunteers, they're not paid. They're just there because they love the sport of golf and they want to help out and they want to be part of it. And so you've got caddies who volunteer, you've got marshals who who make sure the rules are followed, they're volunteers. And, and, And the professional golfers, some of them in particular, are very rude to the volunteers. And Jonathan Taylor tells a story of one day working with another, being paired with another professional golfer, and, and that other professional golfer is just rude to every fan, rude to every volunteer, and, and eventually Jonathan Taylor just had enough of it. 
And so we got to one of the holes, and, um, and, and this, this golfer who's been rude to everybody, he's warming up, and he's starting to, to swing his club before the other group has even finished, and that's against the rules. And so the marshal kind of hesitantly reminds him of, of the fact that you're violating the rules right now, and, and this professional golfer just blows up on him, tears him down. And Jonathan Taylor, he was done. He could not open his mouth anymore. And so he says to this professional golfer, he says, apologize to him. The guy says, apologize for what? He said, for being a jerk. He's just doing his job. He opened his mouth. I guarantee you that other golfer didn't want anything to do with him anymore probably said a bunch of stuff about him. Sometimes you got to open your mouth. I think it's one of the hardest things to do. The more I read Jesus, though, the more I read his words, the more I see confrontation come from him, where he confronts those who oppress the poor. This past summer, I was in the mountains fishing with my wife. We were kayaking on a lake, and you could hear everything, which is normally nice and peaceful on a lake, but there's a father berating his kid on the shore. I felt like I was supposed to go over there and and say, hey man, that's just a kid. You're fishing. What's it matter if he messes up? And I didn't. I didn't. And these are the ones that hang with you. These are the ones that feel the same today as they did that day. And Proverbs says, I was unwise in that moment. Now you could say practically, Matt, you were wise. You wouldn't know what that guy would do. No, no, no. I was unwise in that moment. My attitude was unwise. My choice was unwise. I let fear determine what happened. As opposed to saying, I know who that kid's brother is. I know who that kid's maker is. And so what do I have to fear when there's a God standing behind this? I make no promises about outcomes. But I know it matters a great deal to God that we would be a people who say, I'm going to open my mouth for the oppressed. I don't know when that situation will come to you. I promise you at some point it will, where you will have the chance to speak up for those who are less fortunate, where you will have an opportunity to be a voice for those without a voice. I could tell you other stories and they'd all be the same of opportunities when I failed because I remember, I remember them very vividly, which tells me that there's an importance to them. And I pray, I pray that I can, like you, be a people who says, I will use my mouth because this matters to God and he takes it personally. Third thing we can do is open our hands. Open our hands. Deuteronomy in 15 and verse Seven says, if anyone is poor among your fellow Israelites in any of the towns of the land and the Lord your God is giving you, do not be hard-hearted or tight-fisted towards them. What's interesting is he didn't say contingency based on whether or not they deserve it. He's speaking about an attitude. Don't be hard-hearted. Don't be tight-fisted. Rather, be open-handed and freely lend them whatever they need. Hard-hearted, by the way, is this idea that you've made your heart strong in a bad way. You've made it difficult for your heart to feel 
sympathy that God has naturally bestowed upon us as humans. You made it challenging to have compassion. See, compassion isn't an idea. Wisdom is not a theory. These are practical things. And, and, and the wisest thing sometimes is to open our hands. Leviticus 19 and verse nine says, when you reap the harvest of your land, do not reap the very edges of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. Do not go over your vineyard a second time or pick up the grapes that have fallen. Leave them for the poor and the foreigner and I am the Lord your God. Leviticus 19 is sort of this primer on ethics and, and how, we should, how we should handle um, the, this, uh, this issue with the poor and it refers to when, the, when they would when they would harvest the grain, they would have a sickle in one hand and they'd chop it down and then they'd, they'd carry the grain in their other hand. And obviously you can imagine that over the course of the field, some of it would fall. And the greedy, the profit-minded would go back through and they'd say every little bit. And God says, I don't want that to be you. I provided the harvest and, and, and the, the windfall of that is to be a blessing to those who are not as privileged as you. It's really quite a fascinating statement that John Hartley talks about this. He says, these decrees undercut the strong human temptation to greed in the presence of plenty. Greed in the presence of plenty. It's there. When plenty is there, it's really easy to feel a little safer, to get a little more, to have a little extra. I mentioned that this is incredibly personal to God. I, I, it really shows up in this Leviticus task, text. And, and the reason why is because the common practice of, of non-God non followers, of, of false God followers at this time period, you know what they would do? They would, as a sacrifice to their false God, they would, they would leave the edges of the field and say, here, this is my sacrifice to you. And God comes along and, and he says, I like your common practice, I'll take it. Leave the edges of the field to me, but don't leave them to me. They're mine, but they're not mine. I'll take them, but I wanna give them. Yeah, you, you can leave the edges, but they're not for me either. They're for those who I'm personally devoted to. Leave them for the poor. That's what I wanna do with my share. And what he does is he flips the common practice and says, I'll take this and, I, and I'll make it matter in the most meaningful way. And doesn't this just, doesn't it just feel personal? Because at the end, at the end, I'll, I'll read it to you again. He says, I am the Lord your God. And I think what he does is he satisfies many of the excuses of why we might not. He says, this is what I want you to do. P.S. I am the Lord your God. You know, when I make a statement like this to my kids, like, I, I, this isn't, this isn't arguable. This isn't debatable. I am dad. It doesn't usually work, but I try it. I try it a lot. God says, this is what I want you to do. I want you to, to take the fields. I want you to harvest. Leave the extra. Leave the, leave the outside. I am God. It's me that's asking you to do this. It's incredibly, incredibly important to him. So here, here's my question for you. What is your extra for? What's your extra for? To feel a little safer? To get a little bit more ahead? To have a little bit more? 
Or has God bestowed upon you extra because there's somebody important to him that he wants you to love? So maybe this Christmas, maybe you shop for one more. Maybe you say, God, I'm, I'm going to get a little bit extra and I'm going to find somebody to give this to. I'm going to shop for one more person. Maybe it's, maybe it's something as simple as the sock drive or, or what we're doing with, with the, helping our missionaries, the leases. Or maybe it's just when, you, when you're at a restaurant and you notice the, the server's got a hard time and you, you just, you know, they haven't had the business they've normally had and, and maybe you just go crazy with the tip. I don't know. I, see, this is the beauty of God's spirit is he's gonna, he's gonna lead you to show what this means to you. In Proverbs 22 and verse nine, the generous, me, me, the, the one with the good eye, that's how the word generous shows up in the text here. The good eye person, the one who sees well, will themselves be blessed for they share their food with the poor. It's personal. Proverbs 19, 17, whoever is kind to the poor, lends to the Lord, and he will, he will reward them for what they have done. I mean, he, could, he couldn't place a higher value on this. They matter so much to me that if you give to them, it's like you're lending to me. You talk about an investment. You talk about a return that you're gonna see. This is, this is God saying, it doesn't even matter how you feel compassion-wise. This is just general straight wisdom. This should be part of us, that they matter to us because they matter to God. What, what else does that survey tell you as we look down through here? What, does it, what, what do you conclude other than, other than God wants you to have a heart, to have ears that hear, to have a mouth that speaks up and to have hands that are open. Whatever you do, this, this is my plea. Whatever you do, don't, don't like right now say, this is what I'm gonna do. Take time and pray on this. Take time and say, God, how do you want me? I don't want this to be a rash decision. I want this to be a wise decision. God, what do you want me to do differently in the way that I listen, in the way that I speak, in the way that I open my hands? And maybe midweek, when you get our weekly email, and that's also a shameless plug for getting our weekly email, let it be a reminder to say, I need to make a wise choice about this because it matters to God. And he stands behind it. I lend to God. I'm, I'm letting God borrow this. And I know like theologically that, that really breaks down and is a really foolish idea. That, I, that's why I keep saying the exact words of the text because I don't want you to say, well, Pastor Matt, you made some theological error where, where Romans says there's, there's nobody who ever puts God in debt. Look, God just made a really bold point. His words, not mine. You lend to him. We'll figure out the theology on that when we get there. We went to, uh, we went to Candy Lane last night with our family and like did all the stuff and um, I, I, like to, I always like to end the Candy Lane trip with a monorail like around the top in, in, at night where you can see all the lights and um, you know, it's funny because you've been walking around them the whole time. You've seen pretty much all of it around the park but when you just get up above it and you can see it all at once, it just kind of all comes together and you get it. You see it, it's beautiful. You see the kids in line, you see kids budding in line, you, you see the food, you see the lights, you see the rides, you see, you see it all. Imagine if you were in God's shoes and you could see it all. 
and you saw every tear. And you heard every cry of the downtrodden. You saw the abuse. You, you saw the bill come in the mail that, that just wrecked them. Imagine if you could see it all. And I think it'd be personal. I think you'd say, man, I want some people to be involved in loving those who are important to me. Let's pray. God, I'm just humbled at the very thought that when you showed up, you came in absolute poverty, destitute. And so you know fully who it is that we're speaking about because you've been that. And Father, I pray for those of us who are downtrodden, that we would find so much joy and so much comfort in the way that you associate with us and the way that you pull us near and dear to your heart. And Father, for those who you've blessed with extra, I pray that we would just continue to be a people who says, I choose love over greed for your kingdom because this matters to you and if it matters to you, then it matters to me. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen.